Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, Raider Nation? Matt Holder here from Silver and Black Pride. We're back to our regularly scheduled program, bringing you the news and answering your questions. As always, if you'd like to have a question answered on a future show, either tweet it at me, at mholder95, or send an email to sbpquestions1 at gmail.com, at mholder95 on Twitter, and sbpquestions1 at gmail.com. The Raiders have been busy this week, bringing in a bunch of undrafted free agents, so why don't we go ahead and kick things off there. Alright, for the undrafted free agents, I won't go into too much detail about each of them so that we can touch on everyone and still get through this in a timely manner. So I figured I'd rattle them off and give you a one-liner or two about each new Raider. First up, Sincere McCormick, running back from UTSA. McCormick was a big part of the Roadrunners' historic 12-2 season, finishing the year with over 1,500 yards and 15 rushing touchdowns. Next, we have Myron Tagovailoa Amosa, defensive lineman out of Notre Dame. Myron is the cousin of Dolphins quarterback Tua Tagovailoa, and Myron is an athletic defensive tackle who ran a 4-8-1 40-time at the Combine, but will need to add some size and strength at just 270 pounds. Wake Forest linebacker Luke Masterson will also be heading to Las Vegas after an outstanding season for him and the Demon Deacons. Wake Forest went 11-3 this year and made the ACC championship game, while Masterson led the team in tackles with 85, had 13 tackles for loss, and earned honorable mention All-ACC honors, was a member of the All-ACC academic team, and was the defensive MVP of the Hula Bowl. Dipping into the Division II ranks, the Raiders signed Sam Webb, a cornerback from Missouri Western State. Webb was described as a press corner with prototypical height, weight, and length by NFL.com's Lance Zerline, and Zerline gave him a sixth-round grade, so Vegas might have found themselves a diamond in the rough here. Quarterback Chase Garbers, who was a four-year starter at Cal, was another UDFA signing. Garber had over 6,500 passing yards and 50 touchdowns as a Golden Bear, and added 1,500 yards and 11 touchdowns on the ground as well, with his best season coming as a senior where he was named Cal's MVP in an all-conference selection. Zach Van Valkenburg, edge out of Iowa, will also be heading to the desert. Van Valkenburg actually started his college career at Division II Hillsdale College and played there for three years and managed to rack up 19 tackles for loss and 13 sacks before transferring to Iowa where he played for three seasons and had 23 total tackles for loss and 9 sacks. Probably the biggest Raiders undrafted free agent signing would be 6'8", 330-pound offensive tackle out of Utah, Bamadeli Osaleni. Bam is originally from London, England and played at Garden City Community College, the famed rivals to Last Chance Jews Independence College, and Bam only really played one season at Utah, but managed to earn second-team All-Pac-12 honors. Las Vegas added to his linebackers course with ASU's Darian Butler. Butler's defensive coordinator in college was Raiders' new linebackers coach Antonio Pierce, and under Pierce's tutelage, Butler racked up over 243 career tackles, including 24 and a half for loss, and was named as a Buckist Awards semifinalist this past season. Isaiah Palomau, safety out of USC, will join his uncle Kennedy Palomalu, who signed to be the Raiders' running backs coach this offseason. Isaiah stands at 6'4 and was a two-time captain at USC, and hopefully he's learned a few tricks of the trade from his other uncle, Troy Palomalu. 
The Raiders went back to the Utah UDFA pool and signed tight end Cole Fotheringham. Fotheringham made 38 career starts for the Utes and was used as a blocking tight end, and he managed to record a 76.8 PFF run blocking grade that ranked second among Pac-12 tight ends last season. Justin Hall, wide receiver from Ball State, will be joining the Raiders after rewriting the Cardinals' history books. Hall left Muncie, Indiana as the school's leader in career receptions and receiving yards with 318 and 3,385. He also had 865 rushing yards and scored 28 total touchdowns. Hall wasn't the only addition from Ball State either as safety Bryce Cosby also signed with the club. Cosby racked up 391 total tackles and 10 interceptions in five seasons as a Cardinal, and he managed to earn first-team All-Mac honors in both 2020 and 2021. Virginia Tech's Trey Turner is another wideout that's getting thrown into the mix. Turner managed to haul in 134 passes for 2,292 yards and 14 touchdowns in four years as a Hokie, and his older brother is P.J. Harrison, who played basketball at North Carolina and was the Charlotte Hornets' first-round pick back in 2014. Last but not least, we have Louisville safety Quinterio Cole. Cole actually played the majority of his college career at Alcorn State, where he was a two-time HBCU All-American. He transferred to Louisville for his final season, where he was a second on the team with 78 total tackles, including 15 in one game and five TFLs, and he managed to earn all ACC honorable mention recognition. Well, this isn't a free agent signing, I figured I'd take a second here to let you guys know that UDFA from last year's class and preseason standout Trey Ragus has been cut from the team. On a somewhat related note, the Raiders announced the jersey numbers for all of their draft picks this year, which goes as follows. Third round pick and offensive lineman from Memphis, Dylan Parham, will rock number 66. Running back Samir White from Georgia will be wearing number 35. LSU defensive tackle and the Raiders' second fourth-round pick, Neil Farrell Jr., pick number 80, number 93, excuse me. Matthew Butler, defensive tackle and fifth-round pick out of Tennessee, went with 73. Seventh-round offensive lineman from Ohio State, Thayer Munford, will sport number 77. And finally, UCLA running back and the Silver and Black's final pick of the draft, Bertain Brown, will be wearing number 38. I'll keep the draft talk rolling, and analytics guru Warren Sharp recently released his quote-unquote best value draft classes from last weekend's extravaganza and slated the Raiders as the fourth most valuable class. Sharp listed the Raiders' selection of Munford in the seventh round as the seventh best value pick of the entire draft, and Butler made the top ten for the best value in the fifth round. So, as of right now, it looks like Dave Ziegler did a pretty good job of getting the most out of his limited picks. I know this year's draft just ended, but early this week, we got some more clarity on the compensatory pick formula for the 2023 draft. Per OverTheCap.com, the Raiders are in line to receive three comp picks in next year's class based on the free agents that left this offseason. Las Vegas is projected to get a fifth rounder for wide receiver Zay Jones, who signed with the Jacksonville Jaguars, a sixth for defensive tackle Quentin Jefferson since he went back to the Seattle Seahawks, and a seventh-round pick for linebacker Nicholas Morrow, who inked a new contract with the Chicago Bears. Edge rusher Chandler Jones is the only free agent signing the Raiders made that could fetch his former team, the Arizona Cardinals, a comp pick, and he would yield the Cardinals a fifth-rounder. I don't have hard data to back this up, but I believe this is the first time in a while that the Raiders are expected to receive a comp pick, or at least several of them in one draft class. One thing I do need to wrap up from last week is that Ziegler announced that the Raiders won't be picking up any of the team's fifth-year options from the 2019 draft class. The direct quote from the team and Ziegler was, 
With the May 2nd deadline approaching, the Raiders have decided not to pick up the fifth-year options on Cleveland Farrell, Josh Jacobs, and Jonathan Abram. We look forward to working with all three players, and we will evaluate each situation individually moving forward. Farrell and Abram weren't much of a surprise, but Jacobs was to a certain extent. The running back would have made $8 million on the fifth-year option, but it seems like the organization has other plans after bringing in a few backs during free agency, drafting a couple more, and signing another as an undrafted free agent. We'll see what the future holds for Jacobs. Another story from a week ago that I should probably tell you guys about, and I won't spend too much time on it since it's a moot point now, but the Packers were apparently eyeing a trade for tight end Darren Waller. Aaron Nagler of Cheesehead TV was the first outlet to report this, and he had said that Green Bay was looking to make a deal by or during the draft, which obviously didn't happen. Waller and just about everyone in the Raiders organization has been pretty adamant that he won't be getting dealt this offseason, so I wouldn't make too much of this, but what they aren't saying is that they didn't at least hear the offer. Again, I wouldn't put too much weight into this, but it is something to monitor as the team is expected to get more cap space post-June 1st, and Waller might be in line for an extension. A few random Raiders housekeeping items to go over. Projected starting cornerback Trayvon Mullen shared on social media that he had surgery this week and showed a big cast on his left big toe. The Athletics' Vic Tafer reported that the surgery was minor, though no specifics were given, and Mullen missed the majority of last season with a toe injury that I would assume is related to this surgery. Of course, I'll provide any updates as they come in. In accordance with the Nevada state regulations, the Raiders will not require a mask or proof of COVID-19 vaccination at next year's home games if anyone is planning on making it out to the desert this fall. Las Vegas also had four players make the NFLPA's Top 50 Player Merchandise Sales List, which was released on Thursday. Jacobs came in at number 25, Waller was 30th, Devontae Adams ranked 33rd, but that was primarily while he played for the Packers, and Derek Carr just made the cut at number 49. And to round this segment out, current Tampa Bay Buccaneers and former New England Patriots quarterback Tom Brady took to TikTok and said that the tuck rule game against the Raiders, quote-unquote, might have been a fumble. So there you have it. Brady himself is admitting it, though I believe he's said something pretty similar in the past already. The Raiders also made some front office changes this week. Teddy Atlas, who had been with the organization for more than a decade, has been let go as the team's assistant director of college scouting. Atlas has also worked for the Cleveland Browns and New York Jets as he looks for a new home. One addition to the front office, though, is Lenny McGill, who will serve as a senior national scout. McGill is originally from Long Beach, California, and played his college ball at Arizona State before enjoying a five-year career in the NFL with the Falcons, Packers, Panthers, and Seahawks. He went on to join the Packers scouting department in 2000 and spent nine years there before working for the Denver Broncos, where he likely met Ziegler and McDaniels for five seasons, and he has been a scout with the Miami Dolphins since 2015. McGill is well-respected in the league, and many people, like offensive line guru Duke Manyweather, have expressed their excitement for McGill and feel he's one of the best in the business. More on the business side of things, the Las Vegas Review-Journal's Mick Akers is reporting that the Raiders' chief operations and analytics officer, Jeremy Aguero, has resigned from his position just seven months after taking the job. Aguero said he let Mark Davis know the reasoning behind his resignation and that he's looking forward to some downtime to spend with his family, but other than that, we don't know much about why he's leaving. Aguero was also on the Super Bowl 58 committee for 2024 when the big game comes to the Sin City, and it's unclear how his resignation will affect that at this time. I have a few schedule updates for you guys before we get into your questions. The first update is that the Raiders will not be playing an international game this season, as there was a chance they might head across the pond about a month or two ago. 
Instead, the international games are as follows. In London, Vikings Saints on October 2nd, Giants Packers the week after, and Broncos Jaguars on October 30th, while the Seahawks and Bucks will play in Munich, Germany on November 13th, and the 49ers and Cardinals will square off in Mexico City on November 21st. As for the rest of the schedule, the NFL released more information on the release of the schedule release. On Monday the 9th, ESPN will announce some of their games, then it's CBS's turn on Tuesday, and Fox's on Wednesday, while NBC will make their announcements, and all teams will reveal their first home game on Thursday the 12th. I don't know about you guys, but I can't stand all this, and I just want them to tell me when the damn games are. Here we go, mailbag time. As a reminder, to have your questions answered on a future show, tweet them at me, adamholder95, or email them to sppquestions1 at gmail.com. First up, with the RB room in flux, what do you see as a lineup for the future? With RB by community, who are the RBs that they keep? So I think this is a pretty good question. Obviously kind of a hot topic after taking Zamir White in the second round and the news going uh, about Josh Jacobs not getting his extension picked up or his fifth-year option picked up, excuse me. But here, here's how I see the, uh, the running back room breaking down right now in order. I think Jacobs is still going to be the number one. I think he's going to be the lead back. And I wouldn't be surprised, especially if they aren't picking up his uh, fifth-year option and don't have a, a future plans for him. If they kind of run him into the ground and try to get as much as they can out of him this year. Again, if they don't have any future plans for him, it's kind of a why not at that point. Then number two, I think it'll probably still be Kenyon Drake. I think he's a little bit ahead of Brandon Bolden right now. I think he's got youth on his side. And I am interested to see how McDaniels wants to use Kenyon Drake because he is, as we know, a good receiver and a decent runner, especially on gap runs, which, uh, which uh, let's see, McDaniels seems to love to run or used to love to run over at the, in New England. So I think he can be a pretty good fit in this offense. The only thing that I'm a little bit worried about that might take away from his playing time is his pass protection whereas Bolden's got a little bit more of a edge on him in that department. And then kind of, like I said, Brandon Bolden probably being the running back three, being the veteran of the crew, probably the guy that's going to be the best in pass protection, can't catch the ball and kind of be a change of pace guy. Him and Drake might end up being interchangeable. We'll see how that unfolds. But right now, I'd probably give the nod to the younger Drake. And then running back number four is going to be Zamir White. Um, I like Zamir White's future potential. The problem I have with him right now is I don't think you can play him on third downs. I think he's a good runner. I think he's going to be a pretty solid running back. The problem is he was barely targeted and barely used as a receiver at Georgia. And in pass protection, it was pretty ugly as well. So if you can't catch the ball and you can't pass protect, chances are you're not going to be on the field for a lot of third downs. And I think that's probably where they're trying to grow his game in year one. So that would leave Amir Abdullah, uh, Britain Brown, and then uh, Sincere McCormick off the roster. Abdullah, I don't, to be honest with you guys, I kind of was perplexed by that signing a little bit. I get the feeling he's just more of a camp body. I'd be surprised if he ends up making the team. Um, hasn't had a great career, a little bit of a disappointment. So again, I don't think he'll be making the squad. Bertain Brown, I ha- I don't know much about Bertain Brown, to be honest with you guys. Um, I was kind of another pick that I was surprised by. Seventh round guy, wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't make the team and they bring him back on the practice squad this year. And I'm intrigued by Sincere McCormick. Again, I don't think, obviously, he'll probably make the team. I think they've made too many investments at the positions unless we're in for a, a trade that we're not expecting right now. So I think it'll be hard for McCormick to find a spot on the roster. But he's a guy I would look out for, maybe even a little bit more than Brown. He's a guy that I'm going to be watching a lot in the offseason. 
like I was talking about with McCormick earlier, had 1,500 yards this past year, and I believe someone else told me he had 1,500 yards the year before as well. So I'm excited to see what he can do. Another guy that can uh, catch the ball in the backfield too. So should be an interesting preseason at the running back spot for this year with some uh, good training camp battles. Looks like the team Mark Farrell is a D-line instead of a D-tackle. Maybe a hybrid D-N, D-tackle. Any thoughts on the current defensive tackle lineup? So for Farrell, I don't think he's going to be playing any D-end. Um, he is you know, a little bit more flexible in that I, I think I talked about this when he, could, when he was drafted. He could play a little bit of three-tech. He can penetrate, and he can two-gap a little bit. So I think there is some position flexibility with there. But he's definitely not a guy that you want out on the end. Not a good enough athlete. And I mean... Guy's 330 pounds. I don't think you're going to see him out on the edge. I don't think you'll see him any wider than a three technique. And three technique might be pushing it a little bit, especially in year one. But yeah, he's definitely going to be a defensive tackle. Um, and as far as the current defensive tackle lineup, you know, I, I like the addition of Farrell. I think Butler has some upside. I like Bilal Nichols as a pass rusher. And I do like that they brought back Jonathan Hankins, though Hankins was kind of a shell of himself last year. Um, I think the rest of the guys that they brought in are kind of what I would consider the the JAG category as just another guy. Um, it's a little bit underwhelming, but it's not something that I'm terribly concerned about right now. Again, I think you have some potential to develop with Farrell and with Butler for the future, as well as a good mix of uh, some solid veterans. So it, to me, it, it's a solid position group, but it's definitely one that is not going to be the strength of the defense, but I wouldn't call it the weakness either. I would call the secondary the weakness right now. But I think it's solid. It's a little bit underwhelming, but again, I don't, I don't know what they else they could have done this year. I think they picked the right guy in Farrell in the fourth round. I get a get a guy with pass rush upside and Butler in the fifth. And you know, as far as the defensive tackle market and the free agency was never all that great. So a little bit underwhelming, but again, I, I'm, I'm kind of glad they didn't overspend for anybody. And uh, I'm interested to see what, especially what Nichols can do as a as a pass rushing defensive tackle. But other than that, definitely feel like we're going to be talking about some defensive tackles next year at this time too. All right, we had a long uh, long session there with the undrafted free agents, so we'll keep the questions short this week and wrap up with this last one. Favorite and least favorite pick from the draft, and any UDFA's that you think have a chance to make the cut. So I think my favorite pick was just what I was talking about. I think it's going to be Neil Farrell. He was a guy that I liked a lot at uh, from the Senior Bowl. I thought he had an impressive get-off, and I thought uh, he really shined there. That really caught my eye. And then I flipped on the film and was you know, almost just as impressed. Still think he has some work to do as a pass rusher. But I was uh, pretty happy with that pick. And then my least favorite pick, and I'll preface this by saying I do think, again, I think Zamir White can be a good player. But that one was definitely my least favorite just from the standpoint of I felt like the Raiders probably could have addressed something like a corner in that round. And I feel like running back is kind of uh, kind of getting water under the bridge or not water under the bridge, but kind of uh, getting saturated right now for the Raiders. I mean, I was just talking about it. I got White projected as the fourth running back on the roster this year, which I guess if you're going to go with the Patriots running back by committee, committee um, approach isn't the worst thing in the world. But to me, I just would have liked to see them use that pick a little bit more or a little bit differently. Again, maybe if they don't have any future plans for Jacobs, maybe White ends up being the guy in a year from now and he's the RB1. So that could end up uh, looking better. But it was definitely one pick that made me scratch my head the most. And then as far as any UDFAs that I think have a chance to make the cut, I'll give you guys two right now. I'm going to go with uh, Bam 
I'm going to butcher this last name again, Oseleni. I believe, hopefully I nailed that. Um, so I know someone will be in my mentions about that, but Oseleni, we'll go with that for now. Again, I was talking about a guy with a lot of physical tools. I'm going to dive into his film um, sometime in the near future, sometime over this summer, just because he is an intriguing guy at six foot eight, 330 pounds. I don't know exactly what his background is. Like I was talking about, he grew up in London, so maybe he's new to the game a little bit, which might mean he has some more potential. And I mean, a guy that type of size, you can definitely uh, definitely have some hopes for. I heard his games against Kayvon Thibodeau, who went um, as number five overall to the New York Giants. The first time, Thibodeau got him got him pretty good, but then in the Pac-12 championship, uh, Ocelani, Ocelani, however we say it, he uh, actually had a pretty good showing against him in the, in the Pac-12 championship there in their last game. So I'm definitely going to be diving into those and seeing what we can get from there. But yeah, I think his guy, I think for the Raiders, they need tackle help. And I think he could be a guy that, that could end up being a solution down the road for him. Obviously an intriguing project. Um, and then the other guy I'm going to go with is Sam Webb, the cornerback from uh, that Division II score, the Division II cornerback, I should say. Um, you know, Again, not a guy that I know a whole lot about, but someone like Lance Erline giving him a six-round grade and saying he has all the physical tools. Definitely makes him an intriguing prospect. And again, another position that I think the Raiders could be in the market for, could be looking for some guys that can come in and contribute right away, especially if uh, Trayvon Mullen's foot or toe isn't quite healing like they had thought they could, or that they would thought they would, or were progressing like they thought it would. So I definitely think there's some room for growth in the cornerback room. And hey, who knows? Maybe the Raiders did find a diamond in rough. Maybe it was a guy that just flew under the radar because he was at a smaller school or that got held against him. So definitely an intriguing prospect. As of right now, I'll go with those two as my two guys that could make the cut. And uh, I'm just excited to see what we have going on in training camp. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this week's show. As always, make sure you're following me and Silver and Black Pride. Please make sure to rate, review, subscribe wherever you guys listen to podcasts. That helps us grow, and we really appreciate it. Other than that, until next time.